Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, your Dana Azband, our Daf of the Day. Masachet Shkalim, Daf Tet Zion, page 16. We have only a few more pages left. It feels like we've just begun the Masachet. We've got a Siyum coming up. Uh, the link has been sent out. You can find it on our Facebook page and our WhatsApp group. You can find me and, or your Dana and ask us directly, and we will get it to you. Um, that is, I should just say that the Siyum is Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, Right, this upcoming yes. Sunday, April eleventh. April eleventh. It's so fast. What a short masachet. What a long masachet in a few number of dapim. Um, the pages have been very long. Okay, uh, again from five p.m. Israel time to ten a.m. Eastern Standard Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Uh, we are planning an exciting speaker, and we look forward to seeing you then. Okay, now from the top of Amud Aleph. We have a statement here that when the when the Aaron, the the ark, right, as your dame discussed, when the ark was hidden away, several other things were hidden along with it, including a, a can of the man of the manna in the desert, and a flask of the anointing oil, and the staff of Aaron's um that in the which is you know, discussed in the Torah as having blossomed and buried it's you know and the it was all of these things are hidden away, um, you know together with the Aaron. So what I want to talk about today, and I find it interesting, even that I even wanted to talk about it, um, because it's not necessarily the kind of thing that usually grabs me, is a specific. The Gemara goes into the specifics of the anointing oil, uh, namely this is the oil that was used when it was time to anoint a king, which happens generations later, and time when it would be time to anoint the Kohen Gadol, right? This is the oil that was used for this. Uh, and so the Gemara discusses this anointing oil. It says, It says, you know, specifically amongst these uh, these items that were uh, in the Aaron, among the, with the Aaron, uh, there's the oil, the anointing oil, Shemen HaMishcha, it says the verse is you should take also to yourself. And then there's a whole long list of the things that should be used to make this oil. And so on. Right there, This is the list. I'm going to read it here in English because what the Gemara does is that it just gives you a very brief uh, synopsis or uh, the beginning and the end of the verse. And it's, it's insufficient, right? Meaning we want the whole long list of things. So I'm going to read you what the verse says, but in English in the interest of time. Take you to yourself the chief spices, namely flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250, and of sweet calamus, 250, and of cassia or kida, 500, after the shekel of the sanctuary. Meaning, this is all in Shmot, Perak Lamed, chapter 30 in the book of Shmot, chapters, uh, verses 23 and 24. So altogether, what we have here is Shein Elif Chamesh Meot Manim, we end up with 1,500 maneh, that's the volume of it, shaman zayit hin, and also the amount, the hin is a, is a measure of volume um, of olive oil, shnei masar log, shabo shoklina ikaron, divrei rebbe meir. So this is rebbe meir's position that all of these plants above, the oil would get their fragrance, right? And that's how you get a shaman hamishchai, the there's an amount of oil that goes into it and also spices or seasonings or whatever that come together to make it not just, you know, any other cooking oil or, or 
I don't know what else an oil might be used for, but very specifically the anointing oil. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, so again, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda are often um, in machloket, in dispute with each other, dis- disagreement with each other. So Rabbi Yehuda says as follows, Shulkan shemen agabehen. He says, that's not how it was prepared. Really what they would do is that the person who would prepare the oil would cook all of those roots, all of those flowers, spices, whatever, herbs in water so that you would then have this essence of the fragrance and then when that when the oil I'm sorry when the water has that fragrance they would remove whatever oil had like come out of the herbs I guess out of the water in the same way that the perfumers people who make perfume prepare fragrant oils meaning that's what it means that you'll make a holy anointing oil, that it's a perfume, like the way people make perfume, but together with the oil, uh, you know, in the style of the perfumer or the way that a perfumer would know how to make these things. And then, Tani Rebihuda So what happens? You know, this process that we've just outlined, described in Shmot Periglamed, um, is already, you know, not necessarily the viable thing that Moshe was going to make in the Midbar, that Mo, that Moshe had to prepare from all of these different herbs and all these different flowers. It doesn't quite work that way. So we've got a Breita here, I guess, that tells us the story of exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu did in the Midbar. Meaning it was a miracle all the way along from the beginning to the end. He's only got this amount of a hin, which is apparently 12 log, right? That's the volume. Right? So the concern is, you know, if there's not even enough oil, then to pour over all of these flowers and roots and, and herbs. Right? So, because then when you cook it, some of, or when you heat it up, really, right, some of the oil is reduced off right and then so then the question is how do you end up with enough right to be able to have this shemen hamishka so what happens it's all of a miracle because of this small amount, you thought the miracle of the oil was Hanukkah. Here's another miracle of oil. That because from this oil, oil they would the the Mishkan itself was anointed, plus all of its vessels and the Shulchan, the table there, and all of the vessels of the table and the Menorah and the oil for that would anoint Aharon to be the Kohen Gadol and all of his sons who were anointed also during this time of consecrating of the Mishkan. And then from then on through the generations, we've got this same oil. So on the one hand, we've got a recipe. And on the other hand, we've got a miracle of exactly how this came to pass. And then I'm just going to finish up with this. The bright that goes on to say who else was, you know, anointed with this anointing oil. The first king needed this anointing oil. But the son of the king did not require it. Um, Right? How do we know this? Because this is 
this very specific story of when B'nai Israel, when the children of Israel got a king, when Shmuel, the, the prophet Shmuel, uh, is God tells Shmuel what to do with David, with who's going to be the king, meaning the king and, and his children are also going to be kings, right? And this is where it says, go anoint him, because this is he, this is the person who's going to be the progenitor of kings. Because his son will not require anointing. It's it's like a generational, once that line has been sanctified with the anointing, it doesn't need to continue. Whereas for the Kohanim, they did continue the anointing over the generations. I, I thought this was interesting, explaining this entire process uh, with the anointing. I, it's not something that I think I've ever really thought about much before. <laughs> Um, and also the idea later on that sort of that oil is the oil that lasts forever. It never needs to be replaced ever again. Because it's a miracle. Right. It's a miracle. Like the anointing itself is a miracle. And I guess I don't know enough about like how other kings become king because, you know, in America, we don't have a monarchy. Um, and I'm curious if some of our listeners have, you know, learners have more experience with that. Um you know, but what is it exactly like the, the oil itself is a miracle, but like what is actually accomplished by the anointing itself? Oh, I think that from the Navi, from the from the prophets, right? Meaning I think what happens is that this is the it's like the sanctification, the consecration of David of David as king and his line, or as again the Kohen Gadol as that that's now he's in that job but he's consecrated to that job. It's a sanctification or a designation, I guess, a holy designation that goes beyond just saying like, okay, it's your turn, right? It's, it's, a, it's a godly thing, right? That's, that's what this is. Right. I guess what I'm trying to tease out is like, why does the oil need to be miraculous? Like, why couldn't it be that it's just like you make new oil when you need it? Um, but maybe there's something to be said for like the oil was made once and was imbued with some type of, like you said, power of sanctification and that can't be made again like it was a one-time event and it everything emanates from that event i don't know i as i said i was surprised that i was actually caught up in the in my own interest was piqued by this daf and i feel like i would like to look into it now more and see where does it show up in the navi more and and where else is it in the gemara a, a topic for another time. I'm going to move on to uh, something else on the DAP, which is there's a lot of discussion about the Luchot. Um, and so first there's a discussion about how, you know, maybe the broken Luchot and the uh, second Luchot were placed together in the Aaron itself and what exactly were the dimensions of the Aaron and how did they fit in together and a pretty elaborate discussion about what those dimensions looked like. Um, but later on, it's sort of in the middle of Amud Bet, there's a discussion about what exactly was written on the uh, Luchot themselves. And it says the following. How were the Luchot actually written? Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel Mer, Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel says, So five commandments on one tablet and five on the other. And that's kind of the way I think we all picture it, right? That's like the Ten Commandments uh, version of it. Hadahu um, Right, because uh, it says al abanim. So this is a pasuk um, from uh, Devarim, um, and the fact that it says luchot 
Um, so the idea is, you know, that that it, that it's two ashni luchot. Sorry, that it's two chamisha luachza luachza. That's how they they get that understanding. So you have two luchot, so it should be five and five. Now, what was interesting to me is that. I had no idea that this was actually a discussion in the Gemara and that there's actually different opinions about this. Because again, I think most of us are always raised with that vision of the five and five. But Rabbanan Amri and the rabbi say, so again, this seems to be the majority view. It was 10 and 10. So you had two luchot, but each one had each of the 10 commandments. And where do they uh, get this from? Uh, Right, so this is a um, pasuk also from Devarim, um, and the whole pasuk actually reads: So there, this opinion is paying more attention to uh, the first half of the pasuk, not the second half of the pasuk that was quoted in the five and five. So here the idea is, is that what the Rabbanan understand is, is that all of the commandments, because it's sort of superfluous, the way that this is written, that all of the 10 commandments, right? Why does it need to say the Aserat Hadvarim? It's to teach us that all of them, it was written as 10 and 10. Now we have a third opinion. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer, so Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai says, Esrim al-Luachsa, 20 were written on one, and 20 were written on the other. So the idea is, is that the 10 commandments, the Aserat Adivas, were written twice um, on, on, you know, on each one. Uh, that's how many understand what this means. And now the puzzle for this is, right, so again, quoting that same puzzle um, from Devarim, Avanim, right, it was inscribed on two stone tablets, Esrim al-Luachzeh, the esrim al So this phrase of um, actually appears in two places in Devarim. If you notice, I usually always try to quote the Pasuk itself, and I didn't do it yet because it actually appears twice. One is in Devarim, Parak Dalit, Pasuk Gimel, chapter 4, verse 13, and the other time is in Parak Hay, Pasuk chapter 5, verse uh, 19. So it's sort of what he's doing is a double, just as in, so in other words, uh, Rabbi Shimon uh, Bar Yochai is actually agreeing with Rabbi Nan in the sense of, because in the first Pasuk, in Dalad Yud Gimel, right, it says that these Aserat Hadavis were written on each tablet, but then you have it repeated again, so it must mean that each of the Aserat Hadibah were written twice, and that's how he gets to the 2020. Now we have even a fourth opinion. Rabbi Simai Omer, Arba'im al it was 40. And 40 on the other, because it says they were inscribed on this side and on that side. So his idea, and this is a pasuk from Shmot, um, so he basically is holding by the opinion of Rabbanan, but because it's double, he holds by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, so it must be 20 and 20. But then because it says, it's also front and back. So, so again, so the four opinions are, the first one is just the five and five as we all think of it. Rabbanan holds it's 10 and 10 on each one of the, of the Luchot, right? Then Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is saying, no, it's 20 and 20, but written on the front, basically, of each Luach. 
And then, you know, Rabbi Simai says, no, it has to be 40 and 40. It's 20 on the front, 20 on the back. So that's 40. And that's done twice on each one of the luchot. Um, so I was just really startled by this because I'd never heard of this idea. And again, it's always interesting to see these aren't just ideas that they come up with. They're really based on very close readings of the psukim themselves. And then finally, the Gemara goes on, the Gemara goes on to say, Hanina ben Achai Rabbi Yeshua Omer. So Hanina, the son of Rabbi Yeshua's brother, says, Bain called Dibor v'dibor, between each commandment, were all the details and the letters of the Torah. Because it says, filled in in the manner of Tarshish. So this is a pasuk from Shir Hashirim, actually, Parakei Pasuk Yudalit. Um, and so the understanding here is that this, this Tarshish refers to, uh, uh, you know, Kiyama Rabbah. It's filled as the great um, sea. So that in other words, the mitzvot were filled with all, sorry, the luchot were filled with actually all the mitzvot of the Torah. And we know that there were many people who tried to, we have many mafarshim who tried to explain um, that, you know, maybe the 10 commandments themselves really sort of all commandments could come out of those commandments. All 613 commandments could come out of those commandments. And the, whole idea of actually like how do we get to 613 commandments um and i actually i take back that i said that because this gemara does not actually say that that's a very famous gemara in makos which we'll get to later on so i'm not going to give a number to what that means that all the mitzvot come out but all the mitzvot were sort of in there and so they explained it rabbi shuman ben lakish kar habe mate hadin karya so he would say when he would read this verse right mimluim betarshish have amar yafel imaditi chanina ben achi rabbi yoshua he said, Hanina, the son of Rabbi Yeshua's brother, taught me this nice interpretation. Mahayam hazet, just as the sea, bein galgadol, galgadol, galim ketanim. Between one big wave, right, to the next big wave, there's small waves. Kach bein called dibor b'dibor, between each commandment of these aserot hadibrot, diktutel v'otiotel shel Torah. Appears the details and the letters of the Torah. So the idea is, is that what this is really saying is, is that on the Luchot itself were really all of the commandments. So in other words, it was like you sort of had like a header, right? And then underneath there, you would have sort of all the mitzvot that sort of um, that sort of emanate um, that emanate and come uh, and come from that. Um, and I thought this was such an interesting way to really think about what the purpose of the Luchot itself the luchot themselves were what just to go back to the four different opinions the one thing that does bother me about those four opinions is i don't feel like there's yes it's a close read of the text but i don't feel like there's a good explanation for why like why would you need it written 40 times and i feel like that's the one step of that whole you know drush that goes on there that seems that's a little bit missing for me there maybe because he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights so like you know what happened you know each day there had to be a new version a new uh, writing. that's an interesting idea but then like why 20 and the 10 you know so the 10 I, so, like, right, so i don't have to... right you covered you covered the 40 i understand the question i i what i do love about this and i truly love it is the I would say like this, I think that there is a tremendous um, importance placed on the Decalogue, right? The Ten Commandments. Oh my goodness, it's the Ten Commandments. And we always, you know, it's Matan Torah, it's Revelation. 
And and that's it, right? That's the Big Ten. And I feel like, what do you mean that's the Big Ten? There's another 603. And I feel like this answers that question, right? This says it's the Big Ten, but really everything was given at that same time, just, you know, in between and around, so that in getting the Ten Commandments, really B'nai Israel got the whole Torah all at once. And I feel like there's something very pleasing and comforting about that, because otherwise, you know, why these 10 as compared to anything else? Right. But I want people just to remember, and I sort of misspoke when I said it, like, there's no mention of the 613. And I think that's very interesting, because, again, when we get to that Gemara and Makos, um, you know, this concept of where we get 613 here, it's sort of just saying that all of the, you know, everything can sort of be learned out from the Ten Commandments itself. And that was certainly a Gaonic opinion. Rav Sajid Gaon was very famous for sort of saying that. Um, but there's no no numeric value that's attached to that. Fine. But you, <laughs> I hear you, right? Meaning if we're going to be specific, and the Gemara here is specific, we should also be specific. Well, but I, I'm only, being, I'm only the- pointing it out because I think it's like one of those things, like there's 613 minutes vote. And I just want to point out, like, you know, there are things we take for granted, right? The Lucho were written five and five. And here's like a Gemara that really, I think, challenges or just introduces us that there were actually a huge variety of opinions around some of these uh, issues. There wasn't sort of one universal way of understanding what the Luchot looked like, how the mitzvot were given. And I think we often, you know, now I'm really going to deviate here before we wrap it up, but I think (laughs) very often a lot of sort of these, like, let's say theological or philosophical pieces to religion, um, there's a tendency a little bit more today to say that there's like a way to understand them, a way that's right, and that belief is wrong. And I think the one thing we always see in Gemara is, in like Talmud, is just the embracing of variety, that that they're very comfortable saying there's a lot of different opinions of what this could have looked like, and one isn't more right or wrong than the other. All four of those opinions are valid. Oh, for sure. So, so I agree with you on this. My point is not even the specifics of 613. My point is just that, you know, a quick read of the Torah certainly gives you many other mitzvot, in, however you're going to count them, in addition to the 10, right? And the idea that they came later and of and and are treated with, I don't say of lesser importance, but they don't have that same momentous event as the giving of the Torah, which is really the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's why I like this midrash or interpretation here that puts all of the all of the mitzvot, you know, as what companions to the Ten Commandments. That's all. That's all I meant. I didn't want to. I don't mean to take it further. Than that. That, that is a totally fair point. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and some of its discussions about the miracles and the Luchot as they take place here on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. Don't forget to sign up for our CM. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 